0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in, and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors. It's another Thursday, another deep dive into what's happening with yet another powerful leader in the clean tech and climate tech space, today's entrepreneur, is a returning guest to the show, Mr. Martin DeBono. And I can't wait to share how the work that Key and his team are doing has evolved. Thank you so much for lending us your ears and the only non-renewable resource that you've got. And that's your time. We're so grateful that you're here. I hope that if it's your first time, you get a ton of value out of this episode and out of the podcast in general, and that you'll come back for more. Well, Martin Debono is no stranger to distributed energy and high growth working in the startup industry, but he didn't cut his teeth in solar energy. In fact, he has a bit of an unorthodox entry into alternative energy we talked about in his first episode about a year ago, where he's a decorated officer on a nuclear submarine in the U.S. Navy. He has led sales and marketing for companies you'd recognize like Cisco, Siebel, Pure Networks, even headed Sunpower's residential North America business before taking on the role he now has as president of GAF Energy. And we're going to get into how the new GAF Energy product rollout is going and what it means for the residential market looking forward. Hey, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show and that'll make sure that you get in your podcast player of choice twice weekly content just like this you get notified of it and of course you can always check out more than 350 additional founder stories and startup advice over at mysuncast.com for now let's get ready to tune up your skills solar warrior as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on suncast well it's a pleasure to have mr martin DeBono back on the show, the president of GAF Energy and uh, past guest. Martin, thanks for coming back to spend some time with us. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. It's been about a year, as I mentioned, since you were on the show. A lot has, uh, a lot has transpired. For those who probably haven't had the chance to catch up on all of the backlog of Suncast uh, interviews and who also maybe didn't catch you on some of our other uh, Friends in the industry's podcast recently, could you Give me a sense of uh, what called you to the GAF business model and perhaps set the stage for how GAF kind of stands apart in the industry and stands alone uh, as a worldwide category leader and your role at GAF Energy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's important to understand the GAF company hierarchy. Standard Industries is the parent company, and that's where I went to work first. And what attracted me to Standard Industries is the breadth of their operations, not only geographically, but what they offer. Standard Industries has 185 manufacturing facilities worldwide, where they manufacture products for local consumption, mostly roofing products. They also have a phenomenal investing arm, uh, something we should talk about. So on the solar investments, uh, we've made investments that this year will produce over 750,000 megawatt hours, enough to power 77,000 homes. And so it was a combination of this Opportunity to invest in solar as well as develop solar products that attracted me to standard industries. GAF, which is the largest roofing company in the United States, is one of the operating companies in standard industries, and they'd been in solar for some time. Upon arriving at standard industries, we evaluated what potential strategies we could execute to be more effective in solar could be. And taking a page out of the innovator's dilemma, we decided that GAF was likely too big and too operationally excellent, if you will to go and craft a new startup business and so we decided to create a new operating company gaf energy Uh, we did that two years ago and with the goal there of
0: driving energy from every roof we will certainly get into the enormous opportunity that has existed uh, for a while now with gaf as the worldwide leader in roofing to infuse capital into the marketplace but A lot of folks that have listened to Suncast will know that I once worked in the roofing industry. It's kind of how I got into the commercial side of the business working for a company in California that at the time was one of the largest roofing installers, both residential and commercial. This is a category that it's not lost on anyone. There's such a huge opportunity for compatibility with what they do, with what we in the solar industry want to achieve. However, I've seen... A couple of things over the years that have, we'll say, limited roofing contractors' ability to integrate solar into their business model. The first is famously, solar is uh, <laughs> lower profit margin, and roofing is a rather relatively high profit margin business. It gets hard for them to wrap their head around that on a construction piece. So, and, and so, getting the products integrated in the, into their sales process has been has been a struggle, and then. The other was they have been, say, marginalized by pure play solar contractors in the marketplace where it's like, oh, yes, we need a roof. There's always this sort of friction. So I thought it'd be really interesting just out the gate to have you identify where GAF as a roofing manufacturer uh, with a ginormous, ginormous um, you know, network of roofers sees the opportunity to try to solve that problem in the marketplace and maybe we don't maybe you don't solve it maybe you just compliment it but i'd love to hear your thoughts on that so on
1: the commercial side it's really really complimentary especially in today's political climate and the reason for this is more and more companies are looking for renewables one of the best places to put renewable energy is where it's going to be consumed and that is on the top of a commercial building however when putting solar on the top of a commercial building then there's a lot of ramifications on that roof. With GAF, we are able to offer building owners the peace of mind that if you put solar on your roof with one of our partners, we will ensure the integrity of that roof lasts. And by that, so long as they choose GAF materials, they will be able to ensure that for the lifetime of that solar system and the lifetime of that roof, it is covered. That basically takes a roofing investment from a capital expense to potential operating expense in terms of reduction in energy costs. And that's been really, really effective for us.
0: And I know that's where GAF spent a lot of, we'll call it the better part of the past past decade is in that CNI space. Really focused on that.
1: And so this gives roofers the opportunity when, hey, they can become more strategic to their customers by by raising the level of the conversation. Now you're not just talking with the facilities guy. You're talking with the CFO about making your roof a
0: financial asset. And that has been hugely beneficial to the GAF commercial contracting base. So sticking with the commercial for a minute, and then we'll get to residential, when you got to GAF and started looking through the team and, and the sales opportunities and the materials, where did you see bottlenecks or just walls and problems that you had to solve from the sales and marketing aspect, just in helping integrate solar as a product category for your roofing partners?
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that what was remarkable is that the GAF team focusing on commercial was doing a fantastic job with our commercial customers. It was more internal alignment. Uh, the three leaders of that team, David Kalsis, Jason Barrett, and Mike Morrow, are top notch. I just facilitated the messaging and the positioning of what we can do with solar on commercial across the broader GF organization and standard industries and let them understand the true power of the combination of solar financing, working with our commercial products. And as a result of now more harmonious relationships and planning across the organization, that business is taking off.
0: You spoke to being able to spin it out, sort of the innovator's dilemma, have it stand as a standalone business. And we talked about that in the first interview. How have you seen over the last year, the ability to serve as an independent entity standing away from standard industries, give you more flexibility or freedom to create, innovate, and serve your customer base?
1: Yes, certainly. As the world's largest roofer, there are some entrenched processes that are there for a reason. There are customers, there are segments that we compete very fiercely in. By being a standalone company, we're able to look on the margins at areas that might unlock great returns for our organization that might be either overlooked or avoided by a larger company. And so we're able to get in and dig up opportunities that others may not. So it might be a great example, right? Let's say you have a, a very large customer and the traditional sales team does not want to disrupt the flow of information at that customer. Well, if you're GF Energy, you can come in and leapfrog, go directly to the CFO, for example, of an organization and have a conversation that perhaps maybe the, the roofing sales team does not want to have because if they start engaging the CFO, the head of facilities might get aggravated because they might say, hey, you've gone over my head. By being a separate organization, they can always have the plausible deniability. Say, hey, yeah, I know that Jason Barrett went and had dinner with your CFO, but hey, he works for a different company. And really, it's that separation that gives us flexibility to go and, and attack an organization at a different level. Right? That's not to say that GAF does not have the relationships that are necessary. It means it's certain organizations in certain points in time, it's nice to have a separate route into a sales process. And that is absolutely paid dividends for us.
0: I love that. And I saw it time and time again. One of the things that many of you will identify with if you've worked with inside of a roofing organization or with a roofing organization is the Holy Grail was thought to be, oh, we've got all these project managers, which is most often what they're referred to in the commercial roofing space, who have these deep relationships with home builders, with commercial property management facility owners, JLM and others, and, and, and large property owners. And they're going to willingly, you know, invite the solar team in, right? So it always stand up a solar team alongside the roofer team instead of basically training the roofing team on how to do the work. But you're absolutely right. Like w- What I found is those relationships, they didn't translate into sales and they didn't translate into roofing project managers who willingly integrated solar because it was risky. It was seen as a potential to lose a sales. It seemed as a potential to damage the relationship. Have you and David and the team on the commercial side been able to bridge that gap and, and help train up the roofing professionals in being able to sell solar as a, as a component of this?
1: I wouldn't say we've been able to get them to sell solar because just as you wouldn't want our guys selling TPO and PVC roofs, it's just too much technical detail that they have spent a lifetime building up. What we have been able to do is really establish the relationships that they're no longer hesitant to bring us in. In fact, uh, one one of the commercial sales leaders was elected to our president's club, and he actually pointed to, hey, one of the reasons I'm here today is because of the work of the GAF commercial solar team. So we've actually been able to build more of a sense of teamwork and understanding what each brings to bear. And at the end of the day, what happens is when we're able to help a solar deal get done, the GF we, we require that that roof has a GF coating on it or a GF roofing material on it. And similarly, when our roofing team's like, hey, I'm in a dogfight with Carlisle or with insert name of commercial competitor, they can bring in solar financing. And that allows us to, again, escalate the, con- the conversation within the organization. So Uh, It's been really good. And it's just one of those things where, you know, having multiple tools in your tool belt, knowing how to deploy them is very effective in a large, large scale, large dollar amount uh, commercial sale.
0: So if we flip to the other side of the coin here to the residential marketplace and start off at, you know, 30,000 feet, most folks recognize that the narrative up to now for solar on roofs is buy solar, uh, put it on your roof. You're going to put these you know effectively large electronic tv panels on your your roof right glass on steel on aluminum uh, on more extruded aluminum on top of your comp shingle roof which causes all manner of frustration and angst for most homeowners and so the the world of building integrated photovoltaics bipv has long been uh, this holy grail of residential solar Integration—it's been tried by a number of folks. Apollo and many others in the past uh, have brought products to market with with you know, certainty and trusted names. Most recently, uh, the 800-pound gorilla of, of Tesla—supposedly uh, in the, out in the wild—you can see these these Tesla integrated solar modules. Not just the the Solar City branded uh, you know, traditional solar panels, but these roof integrated products. Uh, I'd love to hear when you. Got into GAF Energy as a as a former you know SunPower executive making and selling these traditional solar panels. What was the data for you that was compelling around the business case that obviously you and Elon and others see for BIPV and why now is the right time for BIPV in the residential scale that you know Certainty and others just couldn't take advantage of in years past.
1: So, uh, several advances have happened since perhaps the early days of BIPV. As you mentioned, there's a whole host of companies that tried and failed. Dow, one of the largest manufacturers in the United States, uh, that they were not successful. So, why now? Right now, you can buy solar cells for $0.14 a watt. (laughs) Ten years ago, those solar cells were a dollar a watt. So, you have the remarkable reduction in cost of the solar cell. The automation of the manufacturing process has reduced module costs to $0.25 a watt. Five years ago, modules were $1.50 a watt. You have the advent of software design services that allow you to take the soft costs out of design from you know scores of cents per watt to pennies per watt. And then, of course, you have the increasing awareness of solar amongst the populace. As millennials grow older, they're much more aware of their impact on the environment. And there are very, very few people that actually buy solar simply to reduce their carbon footprint. But there are now more and more people who are actually looking into solar, and when they recognize that it's a good investment, they're willing to pull the trigger. And so what that does is it lowers the threshold for customer acquisition. And so it's the confluence of these forces that lead me to believe it's what Tesla sees that now is the time where BIPV can really be successful.
0: Given that you are uh, working both at the on the push side and the pull side as a marketer, thinking about how to get your product into market. And at, at its core, GAF provides a couple of key services that the marketplace needs. One is the manufacturing of products and, uh, and the other is the financing of said products in some form or other. I would, I would argue that there's a third, which is education on the product and you work with logistics partners to transport it. So how have you and your team over the last year, now that you've commercialized this this product, which seems to be getting traction, how have you thought about building programs around removing or leveraging some of the embedded technology advances that you mentioned and removing some of the friction like design and time to market?
1: So there, there are two things that we've done. One, recognize, you know, over the past three, you recognize what's trainable and then you recognize what's not trainable. So roofers are really eager to learn new techniques that if it has something to do with the roof, applying a solar panel to the roof, They're interested to learn about it. Applying a building integrated solar panel, they're even more interested to learn about it because it directly hits their sweet spot of waterproofing and roof work. And so we have built out a training organization that had been able to go up on roofs with our fellow contractors. And now we do provide virtual training. So if a roofer is up on a roof, they're able to pick up an iPhone, do a video call with one of a number of our training coordinators and get hands-on training at the time of installation. Of course, we've also done what everybody else in the industry has done and create various online courses that the roofers can take. But the other thing that we've done in the last year is recognize that there's certain things that roofers will never do. Roofers will never open up a main circuit panel, main service panel, right? They don't want to run conduit. And quite honestly, they don't really want to have to interface with an electrician to get that done. What roofers want to do is they want to acquire a customer, waterproof their roof, pick up their check and go to the next customer with the referral from the previous customer. So the second thing we've learned is, if a roofer doesn't... If it's not in their core competence, don't make them do that. And so GF Energy has created its own, its own division of electricians, permit associates, project coordinators, so that we can do everything that the roofer doesn't want to do. The other thing that we've done in California is we are the contractor of record. And so in California, it's super cool if you're a roofer and you come across a roof, you can partner with GAF Energy. GAF Energy sells the roof and the solar to the homeowner. The roofer becomes a sub, just does the roof. They get paid for the roofing work. As soon as all the work on the roof is done, they get their check from GAF Energy. And then GAF Energy has a direct relationship with the end homeowner as a contractor of record. And so there's, again, this goes back to, hey, figure out what your partner can do and is good at. If they're not good at it and they don't want to do it, don't try to push the bolt up the hill. There's plenty of other ways to fulfill those needs. And so for us, it was creating our own services organization. That's been really, really successful for us.
0: Yeah, I love that. Uh, You know, It's that idea that you don't have to be as a downstream partner of GAF, which has this massive opportunity to provide you with education and product. uh, You don't have to be afraid of solar anymore. Uh, You don't have to worry if it's going to be a a money loser for you or if it's going to avoid warranties that you otherwise had to worry about. And rather than displacing roofers in the in the value proposition or the equation you get to bring them along and couple them with the pieces of the technology like like the electrician's trade that they neither want to have in house nor have the time to figure out in most cases that's is, that is brilliant but you know one of the things that i hear in the market is uh, and i'm sure some of you are kind of grumbling about here under your breath that's all well and good for the roofers but a lot of folks our solar installers that are listening to Suncast, how do they wrap their heads around the GAF product and uh, the GAF, we'll call it opportunity, when it seems it may seem from the outside like you're going to be pushing your products into competitive channels that are going to now compete with local solar installers?
1: For sure, we will compete, but it's not, it's not GAF energy competing. It's the roofer getting into solar. And what I would say, if you're a solar installer... Learn how to roof and GF and GF Energy. We're more than hell, happy to help you learn how to roof because what we want at the end of the day is customers who have waterproof homes that generate their own electricity. And so for the solar installers out there, if you think about 10% of your jobs that you used to pass on or hand off to roofers, like learn how to become a roofer and do it yourself. And we've actually worked with some really, really big solar companies, really big solar companies to help train them and help them stand up roofing divisions. Because there is a certain scale to solar companies that many roofing companies don't have. There's also a certain margin expectation of solar companies that roofing companies don't have. And they can be very, very effective roofers. Well, we announced that we're working with Posigen. We made Posigen. By working with them, they've become a master elite GAF roofer. They have quickly become a very big roofer. And that is a profitable line of business with them. If you're thinking about drilling a hole in a roof and you really care about your customer, you have to say, is that hole going to be... Waterproof for the warranted life of that roof, and if it's not, and if you're not really sure, you probably are not doing the best thing for your customer. So I think the what's in it for solar installers, and I want to encourage anyone who's interested in, get, in getting into roofing, contact me. Like we have programs to enroll to recruit more and more roofers, and we also have an academy where we train people on how to roof. There is this confluence between solar and roofing; it's inevitable. We are seeing it today, where we are encouraging solar companies to get into roofing and roofing companies to get into solar.
0: You know, it's it's a the most common thing that I saw when I was installing roof top solar for residential were two point solar contractors who get on a roof and either outright disqualify it because they need a new roof and they can't, they, they don't have that in house capability. And so therefore they say, yeah, this isn't a good opportunity. I'm going to keep moving because they all are kind of, especially the solar consultant layer that's adding a lot of, um a lot of cost right now to the soft costs. The external solar consultants, they don't really know how to properly evaluate roofs therefore installing the the solar installers are bypassing a lot of roofs that would other that are going to go to roof installers So i see that there there's a huge opportunity as the rising tide lifts all boats but do you ever play matchmaker where folks that actually don't want like posigen is a huge opportunity for them but smaller the longer tail installers probably don't want to add roofing as a, as a skill set. Do you ever play matchmaker for them and help them find local roofers?
1: I would. We have no issue with that. But what we've really seen is the opposite, where we've seen roofers who don't really want to take on the solar work. Uh, and, and, and we've done that. We've done that pairing quite a bit, where if you're a solar company getting into roofing, you can't do it as well, and you can't do it as fast. And so we've paired them with local roofers who just handle their overflow. And that's worked out very, very well. And then similarly, when, the, when those roofers have to come across a solar job, we pass that back and forth. And the reason we've gone that way is we, just,
0: our primary customer is a roofer. I'm really glad that you brought it back around. I think it is not always, it's somewhat non-obvious for installers that they might be able to build relationships with roofers who would send them leads because they're too busy to do the work and they want the solar installer to come alongside them. How would an installer that wants to take advantage of that opportunity to either integrate roofing Because the JF roofing product is so elegant and easy to install, um, as you suggest, uh, or they want to be uh, a resource for your roofers that I'm sure call you and say, who can help me with this solar? I don't have time for it, but I've got 10 customers that need it. Is there a channel, like you have a program for that? To say
1: we have a full program is probably, you remember, we're still a startup, uh, two years old, but we absolutely have field sales reps that are out in the field every day and happy to speak with solar installers about what it takes to get into roofing because of the importance of marrying a good roof with a good solar system. Uh, And so in the states in which we compete, California, New York, Pennsylvania, Florida, the Carolinas, we have field sales reps that would be happy to meet with solar companies interested in getting into roofing. Uh, The GAF Energy sales rep can then pair them up with a GAF roofing sales rep, and they can choose to the various programs, uh, et cetera. One of the things that the roofing industry suffers from is just lack of qualified labor. And if you're a solar installer and you have a team that can put solar on the roof, you probably have access to individuals that could also put shingles on the roof. And we'd be happy to help you make that journey because it's not gonna happen this year or next year. But when you have companies like Tesla investing a lot into solar roofs, companies like Standard Industry investing a lot into solar roofs, solar roofing will become a thing and having the solar industry embrace it is absolutely part of our mission.
0: Back in February, fellow solar warrior Robbie Mickelson revealed in episode 345 that the world's top banks funneled nearly $2 trillion into fossil fuels since the Paris Accord signing, despite their lip service towards climate and renewals. If that gets under your skin as much as it did mine, then let Robbie's fast-growing fintech banking platform, Atmos, help you align your purpose with your pocketbook, your cause with your cash. And you can know that it's never supporting interests or industries misaligned with your personal mission. Start your financial journey at joinatmos.com forward slash suncast. Hey, by now, I'm sure you've probably heard about our mission-minded program, getting your dream job in clean energy in 12 weeks. Our current cohort is giving us great feedback and kudos, I might add, as they go through the material and our coaching calls. You can see more about what this program looks like at suncast.vip. That's our brand spanking new webpage to talk about the mission minded program. That's also where you can send friends, family, neighbors, colleagues that you know who might need a little extra help, a little guidance to find that dream job in clean energy. Our mission minded program cohort is ongoing right now. We are taking a waiting list. For our next cohort, I'd encourage you to do two things. One, send anyone you know that might be interested. Two, those of you who are so inclined, please go check out suncast.vip and email me nico at mysuncast.com. You mentioned earlier how one of the key advantages up to, you know, up till the point where GAF Energy could actually begin to build scale around the core solar products was GAF's leverage of being the largest roofing manufacturer, having a huge pool of tax equity and the ability to finance and help downstream projects grow. I'd love to speak a bit about not only relationships with companies like Posigen, but also you all have uh, have had a successful relationship with companies like Sonova, who just bought Sun Street. How does the financial component to this factor in as we start to see the homogenization of solar as a part of the built environment and as a part of the rollout of not only retrofit, but new construction.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yes, uh, so we we did announce a partnership with Sonova where we provide Sonova tax equity for their funds. Also, as part of that agreement, we are introducing our building integrated product to Sonova's family of installers. And one area where that has a lot of applicability is a new homes business. And now that Sun Street uh, has been purchased by Sonova. Um, I think it was uh, uh, Lennar was previous, Lennar home, interest, yeah, yeah. previous previous owner of Sun Street. Uh, what this what this allows now is new home builders uh, access to an independent organization to provide financing for their roofs. Uh, as everyone is well aware, California has a mandate that all new single family homes have to have, I think, a two kilowatt system on them. And now with uh, Sonova, who had previously been active in funding new home installations, uh, this acquisition of Sunstreet by Sonova gives home builders a great opportunity to expand their solar offerings. And GF Energy is happy to uh, be partnered with Sonova and provide our product because we see uh, the applicability of our existing product, DecoTech, uh, as good for new home builders. But it's really fascinating, right? This whole thing that, you know, Lenar, one of the things that kind of bottled up Sunstreet as part of Lenar is like, if you're Pulte, if you're KB, if you're Cenex, like, are you really going to, Cenex, excuse me, are you really going to go and take tax equity from one of your competitors? Now with Sunstreet, I think that it opens up the choices in that industry.
0: Yeah. And for those who are unfamiliar, Sunstreet was birthed out of Lenar Ventures. Lenar is one of the biggest home builders uh, in the US. And they had basically taken taking a deep interest in how to create process and financial products around putting solar into uh, the home building process. So Sun Street was their their endeavor and a successful one at innovating around that financial product and systematizing the integration of those products into the new home construction environment. What Martin is pointing out here is if you are Sunstreet and now you've got everything humming along because you've got a great process that any builder can plug into. And that in fact is your product, your competitors like Syntech Homes and, uh, and Pulte and many, many others uh, they're, they're not likely to buy from their biggest competitor, which is why it was a genius opportunity for Sonova to sort of take on the Sunstreet brand and team and integrate it into a trusted solar brand in at the, at the national level.
1: You know, one other thing on that, you know, I mentioned the California mandate, Massachusetts is considering a mandate and it just seems, you know, if you're familiar with building codes, one thing building codes tend to be is more, (laughs) well, I don't know if this is a good thing, but they're more prescriptive over time, right? So for example, you know, now you can't build a home without putting a a fire sprinkler in it. One can see a day when across the United States, solar will be mandated on all new home construction and Massachusetts and California, they're not the largest new home markets in the country, but for sure, if you think about the Sun Belt and the current growth that's going on in Florida, in Texas, in the Carolinas, if they become up with a mandate for solar on new homes, which they might be Georgia as well, you could imagine the benefits of having multiple players in the, the financing space for new home builders and what that might do both for consumer choice
0: and consumer cost. Yeah. And, you know, with, with companies like LonePal and Sunlight recently going, uh, Sunlight, not LonePal, Sunlight going uh, IPO and, and LonePal, obviously huge in the marketplace and companies like GAF being able to bring tax equity to the marketplace. uh, I just see that we, you know, Martin, this is kind of the, the Holy grail that we've, you and I, at least, and folks that have been in this industry, as long as we have, have been waiting for, for a decade more or more. So you've mentioned the impact that policy has played in states like California, Massachusetts. Uh, You mentioned a few other states that folks should be keeping their eye on. How is the current Biden administration from your vantage point going to ensure that we get the sufficient support? What do you see coming down the pipe that folks should be aware of? And how is GAF Energy positioning around the policy stump? And I would add to that, how can the industry help both on the policy front and beyond?
1: So, the single most important thing that I've heard from this administration is something that anybody in renewable energy would um, agree with. And that is, the administration wants all energy sources to compete on the same playing field. That alone is all we can ask for. Because if left to our own devices, the technology innovation in renewables will outperform the commodity-dependent pricing of fossil fuels. So, for me, I'm not, you know, Green New Deal or no Green New Deal, right? If the government's going to spend hundreds of billions of dollars retrofitting schools, like that's, that's the policy that could be come or go with the next administration. But if we can, as a nation, say, hey, all energy sources should compete on equal footing, including the externalities. And the externalities are the impact that a product typically has on society that's not necessarily captured by its immediate price. Those are all incorporated. That is the greatest news for this country and the planet in the last, what, 30 years. Previous administrations and previous policy, people are all about tax credits and tariffs and favoring one and favoring the other. And when you have that, it creates the opportunity for an argument to be made that, hey, not everybody's playing on the equal playing field. But if you put solar on equal playing field with gas, with coal, even with wind, you're going to end up with a whole lot more solar. And that, to me, is the single most important change in this administration. The second thing, if I can continue, this administration has brought excitement to the industry. And you mentioned the fact that Sunstreet went public, I think they went public via SPAC, right? You have the share prices of these publicly traded companies pretty high. You have the financings done by uh, Sunrun at all time lows. So it's the excitement and the understanding that on level playing field, renewables can be massive, are lowering the financing costs. And when you're looking at any energy Infrastructural investment, financing costs are integral to the overall cost. So it's it's recognition that, hey, fossil fuels are going to be priced as fossil fuels should be priced. And in that context, renewables are going to be more competitive, it is bringing massive amounts of capital to bear on the challenge and it is lowering the costs of solar to a point where, you know, the, the, the prediction that Shell made 10 years ago that solar will be 50% of the energy production in some near timeframe, it's going to happen. So that is, that to me is the single
0: most important policy statement made by the new administration. So I probably feel like I know your answer here, but what do you feel? You know, you mentioned how this is inevitable and we're replacing, I'll call it existing generation infrastructure, you mentioned fossil fuels, at scale and at a pace that we haven't seen before. I can think of at least one industry that might have a problem with that. What are you what are your thoughts generally around the the friction and um, I'll call it confrontational relationship that our solar industry has had with the incumbent utilities over the last fifteen plus years, and how's that going to evolve in, with this tailwind for us, headwind for them?
1: So I think that there's there's two components. to This, of course, the industries are no dummies, and they're going to try to co-opt this and force renewables into the oh, if it's renewables and it's electricity, we must control it, right? We must build it, and there are many problems with that. The most practical for consumers is transmission and distribution. When you're building power plants away from consumption, you're going to spend as much money getting electricity to the point of its consumption as you are going to actually generate it, if not more. So I think that we have to be cognizant of the utilities whose business model is, in a sense, large scale projects, large scale risky projects, which are backstopped by the ratepayers. Um, for me, I'm a huge fan of competition. I just mentioned it. I just want to compete on equal footing with renewal, with um, fossil fuels. Uh, utilities are granted a monopoly. And in return, for, in return for that monopoly, there's a social compact between the populace they serve and their business that should allow them to earn a reasonable rate of return. But the utilities have taken that social compact and said, wow, I am backstopped by a bunch of ratepayers. They don't even refer to us as customers. I'm incented to make big investments because my return is calculated on the number of capital ex- expenditures uh, I, I deploy. And I'm going to make super risky bets to enrich me and my shareholders. And as a result, you see companies like pg and SDG&E, right? SoCal Edison with some of the highest electricity prices in the country, when their publicly run counterparts, SMUD, LEDWP, et cetera, have somehow managed in similar climates to have much lower cost of electricity. Hey, I'm all for their utilities making a fair rate of return, but what I'm not for is them taking outsized, very, very risky bets where they can put the risk back to the ratepayers. And so for me, my concern is, as there is a lot of excitement about the ability to compete with fossil fuels, that the utilities co-op that, they completely ignore the cost of transmission, distribution, the environmental impact of building massive solar farms in environmentally dedicated areas and try to become the gatekeepers. It's the same thing they're trying to do with uh, electrical EV charging, right? It's like, hey, we should build it. So look, you can make a fair rate of return, but the challenge of have with utilities is they're a monopoly and they have kind of forgot the uh, agreement that they've made with the customers whom they serve.
0: And yet not all utilities are created equal. You've got gigantic utilities that you just mentioned, uh, both on the East and West, including throughout Texas. Um, you know, CPS Energy is one of the, company one of the utilities that's doing an amazing job as a public power company trying to really rationally integrate and and there's still friction there. I'd love to know with the footprint that you have nationwide and obviously you see uh you have visibility into how things are working in other countries as well. Where have you found pockets of less friction or I would even call it friendliness towards the value proposition as a As a listener right now, where can folks think about how utilities are acting as positive players and collaborators?
1: So what I've seen, it's inverse to scale. And look, the utilities are an important partner, and I have no issues with utilities making a fair rate of return, right? I think what we've seen is some um, some extravagance on their part. Uh, I've seen that the smaller the utility, the more effective they are to have empathy for the customer base. Which they serve, right? So again, I mentioned SMUD as an example. Like Sacramento is not small, but as it's the as a utility district, it's relatively small. We know that LADWP, but LADWP sometimes gets a bad rap, right? The rap with LADWP is like, hey, they're hard to work with. But what LADWP has done for its ratepayers is remarkable. Like the cost of electricity is is much lower. So so they're doing they're they're doing right by their by their constituents. Um, so. You know, it might be the last, is the first time anybody in solar has said something good about LEDWP. But the fact of the matter is, they're doing they're doing right by their ratepayers. And and if you can you can engage them, you can have conversations. If you take the time and sit down with them and explain, because they are really in
0: touch with their customers. And so I'll note that you've you've highlighted two municipally owned utilities.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's like, look, man, I, I'm a I'm a capitalist through and through. I have an MBA, but there is there's something about when a privately owned entity becomes a monopoly they tend to uh, like I, I just got my my comcast bill let me just go off on a moment comcast sure let's hear it went from 150 a month to 200 bucks a month with no no change no warning and so it's like you should do something about that i, I will but but this is the problem when you have when you have companies motivated by profit in a monopoly situation they're going that like one could argue they have an obligation to shareholders to take advantage of everything they can do. And therefore, this is where I say to the policyholders, maybe it's time to look at small utilities. The other thing is when you have utilities that span massive, massive physical distances, they don't think anything about running transmission lines across that, that, that distance, which is probably not the best thing for the environment. So look, I think the smaller publicly owned utilities are going to be more responsive to their customer base than, than larger. And that's what's been most effective. And that's where you can actually find policies that are truly, truly sustainable.
0: And I think that the, in the residential markets in particular, there is still a little bit of a chicken egg of, well, the smaller utilities have smaller incentive programs and s- relatively smaller markets. So there's always that dynamic, but the smart, uti- the smart players out there, you know, the posigens of the world as an example, are figuring out how to target the receptive utilities and build programs like your financing product into the ability to uh, show those utilities how it benefits their ratepayer.
1: So small utilities have smaller incentive programs. As an industry, we need to accept that and invest in the technology to drive down the costs. Mm. Just, like, so that more can fit on. The reason, the reason I, I was all for incentives, I'm all for incentives because that helps level the playing field between us and fossil fuels. But if fossil fuels have to actually incorporate the cost of the damage they do, what we're going to see is their costs are going to go up. Like, I don't, want, I don't want any handouts. As an industry, it would be a lot better saying, let's just compete on equal footing. And, and to what you said, small, small utilities have so small incentives, but you can work with them and have much more sustainable policies instead of having to plan for every, like, look at the NEM3 fight in California. The incentives are good, so as long as they level the playing field. But
0: once the playing field's level, I'm happy to compete against fossil fuels. Could we talk about how the tax equity works from a partnership like the one with Posgen from a scale perspective? You walked through some of the numbers with me uh, on a previous call, and I, it occurred to me—you know—I bet if you're listening to this and you aren't a finance professional, it'd be helpful if someone like Martin could walk you through. What a tax equity investment of, well, I think it was 20 million, looks like in the marketplace when it actually gets down to rooftops.
1: So, we, we've announced the, the amount we've disclosed with Posigen. And the way it works is in any given solar deal, there's people who want to invest for the tax benefits and there's people who want to invest for the uh, return on the solar energy. But in order to take the tax credit, you have to be an at risk partner, meaning you can't just invest in the deal solely for the tax benefits. And the IRS is put out guidance as to how that balance can be struck between what's called the sponsor equity and the tax equity. The sponsor equity are the folks who are primarily looking for the returns from selling the electricity. The tax equity is primarily looking for the benefits from the returns for the tax investment. And so let's just say you, you want to invest in a hundred million dollar project. You might invest uh, with a 26% ITC you'll probably in that case probably get around 70 million of investment from sponsor equity 30 million of investment from tax equity a partnership is agreed to where we say of the tax benefits 90% of the tax benefits will go to the tax equity investment 10% of the tax benefits go to the sponsor equity and similarly some you know 90% of the benefits of selling the solar go to the tax equity the sponsor equity investor and 10% of those benefits get to the tax equity investor. So the tax equity investors are people who, you know, you have to pay tax in the United States, right? You have to be active in the program. You have to put money at risk. So it's not just something where it's like, hey, I want to go and put in there's 26% tax credit. I want to provide 26% of the capital and I'm going to get all my money back immediately. You have to put some money at risk. The challenges are though, in order to qualify for the tax credit, there's a number of hurdles that you need to clear. And that's what makes tax equity investing tricky is that if you miss any of those hurdles, you're not eligible for the tax credit. Here's a big one for residential. Most people are familiar with residential solar. And if you think of a residential lease or residential PPA, if the system is placed in service before you have the the notice to proceed, well, then the tax credit is not, the, the tax equity investor is not eligible for that tax benefit. And so this is why you sometimes have issues where you have, the entire system done, but the installer hasn't interconnected it because they haven't gotten this notice to proceed from the utility. Well, in that in that circumstance, if the homeowner were to go and you know close the breaker and energize the system before they have the notice to proceed, the IRS could say, "Hey, now that system is actually placed in service by the homeowner, not by the the uh, investor." So uh, that was probably not the clearest explanation of how tax equity works, but uh, it's it's roughly how it works.
0: Well, Martin, I wonder is there Anything particularly unique about the way you and JF approach the finance side of the industry?
1: Uh, I think there are are two things that really stand out. The first is we actually stay in our deals for the lifetime of a deal. Many people have heard this concept of a, a partnership flip, which is a way that the big banks invest in tax equity, which says, I mentioned earlier that you have to have capital at risk in order to receive the tax benefit. And the uh, guidance or the experience with the IRS is, hey, if you're in the deal for six years, that's enough risk. And so typically you have this partnership flip, which is a complex structure where after six years, the tax equity provider flips out. And so the challenge with those sites of investments is the tax equity investor knows after six years, they don't care. And so they may not be as diligent in choosing their partners and choosing the products, et cetera, et cetera. With GF Energy, what's truly unique about us in the financial world is we stay in that deal for the life. So we don't do partnership flip financing. And that gives our the the people who are actually getting the electricity, the people whose buildings this is going on, confidence that hey, GAF Energy has invested for the life. The second area in which uh, I feel that we're unique is that as a private company with our own team in, of investment professionals, we will do uh, investments that perhaps others may not. Whether it's because of of the size, you know, if you're a big bank, you're not going to do an investment that's under a hundred million dollars because the cost of that transaction is too large, or perhaps uh, you don't really have the expertise or the, the time to go and evaluate a solar system on a school in Puerto Rico, for example. And so we've done some unique investments and those unique investments have led us to other opportunities. So for example, we financed the largest rooftop solar system in the country at the port of LA, which was also done in conjunction with LADWP. Obviously we had to interconnect there. Um, so, um, so we've done some really uh, cool things and we do interesting things in the tech tech,
0: tech side that are unique. Um. Taking from that, that you have an entire team internally dedicated just to the financing piece.
1: Yes. So, so we do, we have uh, a number of professionals that uh, do that. And uh, you know, there's, I think there's 12 people on my team. And then of course we work hand in hand with uh, Standard Industries,
0: our parent company on how we actually do the execution and planning for that. I'm sure folks are uh, you're going to get some <laughs> outreach from Suncast listeners going. I want some of that tax equity. <laughs> so um, we'll leave the we'll leave the um, the breadcrumbs for you all at the end. Yeah, and let me
1: let me let me throw some down. Right. It is in. It is my opinion that on the residential side, this confluence between roofing and solar is really important because it's going to give consumers a better experience. It's going to lower the overall ownership of solar. Because you have one project to manage, you have one set of installers. And so for those companies that are approaching this confluence of roofing and solar and are looking for uh, tax equity investments, I mentioned that, uh, well, uh, Nico mentioned the investment we did with Posigen. I mentioned the investment we did with Sonova. Uh, if you're looking around financing financial products around the confluence of those two industries, don't hesitate to reach out to me.
0: Martin, every time I have a chance to chat with you, I personally am inspired and I learned something. And I feel like I am in, in some ways watching, uh, you know, an educational session like a TEDx talk. I'm curious if you were given the opportunity, what would your TED talk be about? Uh,
1: there might be two topics. One might be on how to enjoy the roller coaster ride of startup organizations. It really is gets quite emotional. Uh, this is my third startup, but I think that uh, more in terms of where I might be able to offer something is. And this is not necessarily solar-related. It's more just life-related. There are so many ways to make a living in this world. You know, For the people who have the fortunate experience to be able to listen to this podcast, and it's not because Nico and I are talking. It's because in order to be able to listen to this podcast, you have a phone, you live in a free country, more than likely, and you're here with your faculties, right? And if you think about the miracle that just enables that, I would have some talk about the fact that you should never find yourself working with people with whom you don't like, working in a profession with which you don't agree, and working in a job that makes you miserable, right? One of the most impactful quotes I ever heard actually came, and this is very trite from Jeff Bezos, where he says, he doesn't believe in work-life balance, right? Your work should energize you, and your life should energize you, and they should be mutually beneficial. And I find throughout my career, I look back, there are times I worked with people who were just mean. And left me dispirited for far longer than I should have been. And it wasn't until I had the guts to say no more and move on that I felt a lot better. So my TED talk would really be about appreciate the limited time we have here,
0: don't work with assholes, and find something along the way that really excites you. I love it. Oh, I couldn't have scripted that better. That was amazing. Thank you. That's super. That's actually uh, exactly the kind of thing that I would cue up in my uh, in my lo- rather long. Ted video queue, Martin, you also get a chance before many, uh, you're afforded the opportunity to see cool tech that's coming to market. I'm wondering if you've seen in the last, you know, six to 12 months, some aspect of climate tech that really gets you jazzed. What's the coolest thing you've seen lately?
1: So what everyone's heard about perovskites. I had for the longest time felt that they were, oh, they're always five years away. I saw a perovskite tandem panel that is claimed to have, could claim to be effectively, if it was, if it can be scaled from the size I saw and the size I saw was like 12 by 18 could result in like a 500 watt, 66 cell residential
0: panel. Like that was pretty damn cool. Right. You know, is that kind of perovskite uh, technology applicable to the work that you guys do with the GIF product as well? Uh, yes, absolutely. Wow. right so, I mean, we had, yeah, we had a, we had uh, an episode about a year ago as well with some of the manufacturers working in the current, the Kodak plant up in New York, trying to bring PropSky to scale in the U.S. That's really exciting.
1: Yeah, you know, because it's one of those things where, you, you, know, you, I, I, you know, you see them as postage stamp size. You know, and and of course the PhD is like, oh yeah, I heard of that. But I'm like, well, hold on a second. No, they're actually got funding to, you know, this is a reality. Like, and, and the reason that's so important, again, is I really believe that local generation of electricity is going to be huge. So to me that that was probably the coolest thing that I've seen. It's been in the news for a long time but it's cool because now it's like on the verge of production.
0: Martin, I know that you're an avid reader and you spend time helping your team understand what you've learned from books. Notably last time you recommended two that I think are amazing death by meeting and the five dysfunctions of a team. I'm curious what's on your nightstand these days. So uh, I have to admit I actually don't have a book on my
1: nightstand right now but I'm listening to a great book Called This Tender Land, which is uh, this, this this is a good, great fiction. It's about a young boy who is sent to one of the Indian schools in the early 1920s. And the conditions are so bad he escapes. So I would say it's a, a 20th century version of Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. But uh, I, I've I've devo- I've, I've uh, resigned myself to listening to it on tape uh, as I find myself more convenient right now.
0: Yeah, totally okay. I basically only listen to audiobooks. So when I say nightstand, I often also mean just in your Audible account. Obviously, you can check the show notes, but I'll mention it here uh, as well. William Kent Kruger is the author of This Tender Land. Uh, we will certainly link to that. That's a fascinating, a fascinating thought. My kids would probably love to get. Uh, is, it, is it family friendly?
1: I, I, I think that there's some sexual violence in that book. Okay. So you probably read, read, of- read it
0: before you read it with your children. Yeah, I think <laughs> so. The- and and uh,
1: <laughs> if not that, but you know, you just one can imagine some of the horrors that took place in the 20s with young children who were displaced, but uh, it's, uh, it's definitely a, an enlightening book. And I mentioned earlier, you know, Hills like, this is someone who's as a young child, you know, it's like, Hey, there's a lot of jerks around here. I'm, I'm, I gotta, I'm leaving.
0: Well, I promise you dear listener that you get a chance to engage with Martin, uh, I know that many of you are very active at reaching out to folks that come on the show. Martin, where do you like to be found? How can folks engage with you?
1: I'll give you my email, right? It's martin.debono at gaf.energy. Again, martin.debono at gaf.energy. And uh, if you have a reasonable, respectful email for a business uh, proposition, (laughs) I I will typically respond if it's someone telling me how to get more leads and or how to... How to get more leads or how
0: to reduce my IT costs, I will unfortunately not respond to those any longer. That is is the best caveat I've heard about giving an email uh, ever. That was great. How can the Suncast audience, thousands of folks who are listening to this very message, how can they help?
1: The most important thing we can do for renewables is have a message that doesn't appeal to people on the 100% opposite side of the spectrum. We need to come up with a collective message that appeals to the middle of America. And for me, this concept that we just want to compete with fossil fuels on equal footing and ensure that the cost of fossil fuels encompasses all the externalities, all the environmental impacts, all of the defense necessities in in its cost. And so if we can compete with unequal footing, then we're great. And so what I would say is uh, one of the things that we need to do is let's not be histrionic, I think if that's the right word, but let's be reasonable. And all we have to do is get like, 10, 20% 10, 20% of America to recognize that generating its own electricity from the sun is the right way to go, we will have a much better energy policy and a much better uh, planet as a result. So maybe it's like, don't be extreme, be moderate. Like, you know, the science is behind us.
0: <laughs> Let's not make this a religious battle. Let's make it more of a neighborly conversation. Inspiring words. Thank you. Martin De Bono is the president of GAF Energy. He's now an alumnus, return two time guest on Suncast. And I know that we'll have you back again, sir. Thank you so much for coming back on Suncast. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. All right, Solar Warriors, that's a wrap on today's episode, but we do not have to end the conversation or the journey. Here, as you just heard, Uh, I know Martin is going to expect an email from you, and he dropped that email uh, about 15 seconds ago, if you want to back up and listen to it again. If you're eager to keep learning, then you, my fellow Philomath, can find the resources and highlights from this and every other discussion, including that last episode we did with Martin back in January of 2020, before this pandemic changed the nature of how we interacted with everyone. All the social media and book recommendations and so much more are over on the blog at mysuncast.com. Since you're already hopping online, why don't you take a chance as well to link up through those social media links with Martin and I on uh, LinkedIn. I will be posting about this episode. I'd love to hear your takeaways and feedback. It would really make us uh, extra uh, honored if you would just hit that share button and forward it along to your network and let them know what you are learning here on Suncast hope you'll meet us here again next week for our tactical tuesday and another deep dive on thursday thanks again to our sponsors who help make this content free for you you can learn more about how you can partner with those sponsors as well as how you might partner with the thousands of the suncast tribe who tune in twice a week at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor remember you are what you listen to thanks again for showing up solar warrior it's half the battle